another portion of, of your word, that is Exodus chapter 32, which is a familiar portion of scripture. And, and Lord, sometimes when we, when we get into familiar stories, we think we know it. But Lord, I pray that you give us fresh understanding. Help us be attentive. Lord, I pray you bless this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When we do have um, that time where we're going over a portion of scripture that is very familiar to us, for example, the crossing of the children of Israel through uh, the Red Sea as they crossed on dry land. I think everybody is pretty familiar with that story, even non-Christians are. And even a lot of people are familiar with this story of Exodus chapter 32, where we come now to where the children of Israel begin to commit idolatry. They're going to be dancing around this golden calf. And whenever we come to a familiar portion of scripture, perhaps we've heard of this story um, all through, um, you know, our going through, through Sunday school when we were kids growing up in the church, whatever it might be. But the thing is, is uh, we can think and have the mindset at times that, well, I know the story. There's nothing really that, uh, that I can learn more from it. But I believe that the Lord wants to give us fresh understanding, some um, new understanding of what's going on here as we go through this section of, of um, Exodus once again. And I know that as I was studying for it once again, that the familiar themes and the familiar applications are going to be made but also there were some things that I never really thought about before that I hope is going to be a blessing to you as we look at this. Now I want you to keep in mind that, that Moses there at the end of uh, chapter 24, you recall that he brought the children of Israel after the crossing of the Red Sea, that he brought them to the mountain of God. And there the Lord said to the children of Israel, get ready because you're going to meet with me. And so God manifested himself with the, the mountain on fire and the thunderings and the lightnings. Uh, with the uh, voice of God being heard by the people, the sound of a trumpet that got louder. And you recall that the people, what, they trembled, didn't they? They trembled at that, and they said, Moses, you go up on the mountain because we, we can't bear this. This is too much. And so there was a reverence for God at that time. There was the fear of the Lord. There was a realization how awesome that he truly was. So Moses goes up on the mountain, and he receives the law of God. And there the covenant is made with the children of Israel. And twice we have seen that they said to the Lord that we will do what the Lord has called us to do. We will keep his commandments. And so the covenant has been made in that way. And so this is a significant portion of scripture that we're looking at because now we're going to see that everything changes. And so keep those things in the back of your mind where we have been so far as Moses then at the end of chapter 24, he went up on the mountain and we are told that he it was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the people are waiting. They had just seen the awesome display of God. They have just made this covenant with God. And all of a sudden, as Moses is up on the mountain, he's up on the mountain, he's receiving the, the pattern to the tabernacle and all the, the furnishings and stuff. This is what's taken down below after that period of time in chapter 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out, out, up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so the people are waiting down below. They've been waiting for 40 days now. And all of a sudden they say, We don't know what has happened to Moses. They maybe perhaps thought that he, he was dead, but he delayed in coming down. So what they did is they saw that, they saw that you know with him delayed, what they're gonna do obviously is take things into their own hands. 
And the thing for you and I to remember is sometimes the Lord, it seems like to us, that he delays in working. So according to the children of Israel, here he is delayed, but according to God, he wasn't delaying, was he? He wasn't delaying at all. Matter of fact, God was preparing Moses for building of the tabernacle that Moses is going to come down and said, you know what, God showed me the tabernacle. And you know why he showed me the tabernacle? Because he wants to meet with you. Because he wants to bring provision. Because he wants to bring blessing. Because he wants you to, to, to know that I'm in the midst of the camp. So I've received the pattern of the tabernacle that we're going to, to build. But see, they thought the Lord was delaying. Moses was delaying. And we need to keep in mind that when the Lord is working in our midst, his timing isn't always our timing. Matter of fact, we get impatient, don't we? We want things to happen instantly because we live in a society where things happen instantly. We got, you know, internet that happens faster and instantly and, and email now. Uh, very seldom do people now today, do they sit down and actually write a letter and send it out? Because that letter takes two, three, four days. It depends where it goes. We want to get, you know, email out that goes out instantly like that that you can get right away. And it's a blessing in a time. But what we do is we live in a society where quicker and faster and, and no delay is something that we expect. When we go to McDonald's, we want our food right away, don't we? And if we have to wait more than one minute, we start getting impatient and everything. And so we live in that instant world. And sometimes that can carry over to us spiritually. And God doesn't always work in our timing and in our ways. But I want you to understand this. If you're in a season where it feels like you're waiting on the Lord, and it seems like, man, the Lord delays, or things are happening, or things should be happening quicker than I think, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are way above our thoughts. But when God is working in our lives, and He is, and you're in that season, where you feel like that you are waiting or God is delaying, realize that what he is doing in preparing what he is doing in, in your life is going to be to where he's going to bring you to blessing and draw you closer to him. And so what happens is, is that we can begin to take matters into our own hands when the Lord is saying, if you would just wait and trust in me and be established in my promises. And as Isaiah chapter 30 says, that you'll be gracious to those who wait on the Lord. And say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know why to delay. But I know that your timing is perfect. And I know that in the timing that you have and in the work that you're doing, it's going to bring blessing. And it's going to be the best for me. And so, Lord, I'm going to continue to wait for you. And that's what they should have done. But they get impatient and they say, we don't know what's happened. And so what we're going to do is come make, make us gods that shall go before us. Now, isn't that interesting there in verse 1? How do you make a god? I mean, I, I mean, you come to a conclusion, let us make a god. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And we look at that and we think, how silly. And of course, they're going to build a golden calf. And, and they're going to say, this is the god that brought us out of Egypt. But you see, you and I can do the same thing, that we can make a god. Because God that we can have in our lives is anything that has priority or devotion or worship over the Lord of the universe, our trust in Him, our devotion to the true and living God. When things start coming into our lives, we create that. We, we start to work for more possessions or that toy or, or you know, whatever it might be. And it gets in the way and has priority over 
our worship and devotion of the Lord and becomes an idol. So they make this idol here, and we know the story. Verse 2, And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, made a molded calf, and they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. In verse 5, So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And so what they did is they began to turn uh, to, to other things. They begin to turn to idolatry. We're going to make this God that is going to go before us. And so what they are doing, first of all, is they are breaking those commandments, aren't they, that they had just confirmed that we will keep these commandments. They had just confirmed the law, the covenant with God. And the first commandment was what? Have no other gods before you. The second commandment, make no graven images that are going to be before us. And they've already broken that here 40 days after they received from Moses the law. And so a short time. So they've really cast away the Lord uh, on this mountain, you know, or down below on the mountain. Let's forget about God. We're going to have God as a, a golden image, this idol, and we're going to say that is the God. He, that idol represents God bringing us out of Egypt. And so they committed idolatry, given their hearts over to this idol. But second of all here, as we look at this, Moses' delay in coming down, they're also kind of casting him off in a way as well. They're saying, we don't know what's become of Moses, so we're going to take matters into our own hands. And again, maybe perhaps they thought that Moses was consumed up on the mountain. But they repeatedly, as we're going to see, as we go through and, and read about their wilderness experience and their journeys in these 40 years, that they would rebel and murmur towards Moses, who had been so faithful in bringing them out of the promised land and leading them and bringing them to the mountain of God. You know, that can happen when we minister to people. And that can happen certainly when, when we're leading a group or you're pastoring a church or whatever it might be. Sometimes, you know, you can sense, maybe even teaching a Sunday school class or, you know, you're teaching a home fellowship. Do you feel like, God, oh, do people really appreciate me? Do they, do they really, you know, know that I'm laboring for them? Well, first of all, remember the Lord sees. And oftentimes people appreciate us more than, than what they express at times. But there are those times, oftentimes, that people, you know, they, they don't show that appreciation. But the thing is that you keep faithful to the Lord. And that's an important thing. Remember the principle to the priest. And you and I, as a kingdom of priests, that you minister unto the Lord. And that's what's going to keep longevity in your ministering to people. Because sometimes it's not always easy. And it certainly wasn't easy for Moses here at this point. One of the saddest things, that, uh, comments that I think that you read in the New Testament is Paul the Apostle, as he went to Corinth, we know, on his second missionary journey. And there in Acts chapter 18, you should read about Paul going to the city of Corinth. I mean, the church exploded. And there were some places that Paul went to that there wasn't much fruit or any fruit, but Corinth was a different story. And in Corinth, as the church just exploded and the church was growing, we see that Paul remained there for a year and a half. We know that he ministered very effectively to them, and we also know that, that Paul would support himself in that city. He, he was making tents. He didn't take from the people in Corinth, but he was always given to them and laboring for them. And the people of Corinth didn't always show appreciation to Paul. So we see that Paul, because he cared for them and loved them, in the first epistle that he writes to them, it's a corrective letter, isn't it? 
And so he writes because he wants them to do well, but then in the second letter you see a different tone as well. And that is that the people had begun to turn away from Paul. They had begun to hold Paul out at arm's length because others had come in to undermine Paul's ministry. And they were saying, don't listen to Paul. But I think one of the saddest comments that we see in 2 Corinthians is when he says to them that, you know what, you have 10,000 teachers but not many fathers. And I'm a spiritual father to you, father in the faith. And then he says, the more that I love you guys, the less that I am loved by you. And I think the truth could be said for Moses. Because we're going to see that Moses here is that he's going to show a love for these people. And he's going to show a true shepherd's heart. But over the years that are going to continue, this is towards the beginning of their exodus. That they're going to continue to rebel and come against Moses and murmur and complain. And so here we, we see that as we go through it as well, and at this time, that it displeases the Lord when that happens. So we want to show appreciation for those that the Lord raises up to minister and to labor, and, and, and as we labor and minister to one another. So they're impatient, tired of waiting, take things into their own hands. And again, we need to be careful when we do that, when we begin to do a work of the flesh. Here's an idol that's going to be made. And, um, and we know that whenever we turn to, where we do a work of the flesh or we turn to something else, instead of waiting on the Lord and trusting in Him and turning to His Word, then it becomes a mess. And, and this situation is going to bring literally death to the camp of the children of Israel. You know, we saw that with Abraham. Abraham, he became impatient, didn't he? And what did he do, him and Sarah? Well, the promise had come to them that Abraham, that you're going to be the father of, of a great nation and your descendants are going to be many. And Abraham and Sarah waited and they waited and year after year went by and all of a sudden Sarah goes, you know what, nothing's happening, Abraham, hubby. So why don't you take Hagar, my maidservant, and why don't you marry her and have a son through her, and then that'll be the heir that will raise up and the promises that God will go through this son. And so Abraham said, okay. And Ishmael would be born through Hagar, and you know that God rejected Ishmael and said, no, that's the work of the flesh, Abraham. I told you and gave you a specific promise that it was going to be through your wife, Sarah, through her body that you're going to have a son. And of course, that would be Isaac, and that covenant would go through him. But Ishmael became a work of the flesh. And you recall in Genesis chapter 22 that God would say, this was long after Ishmael was born, and then after Isaac was born, he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. He didn't even recognize Ishmael. Because he won't recognize the work of the flesh. And he won't recognize idols. And, and, and he's a jealous God, as we're going to see here, jealous for the people, not jealous towards that piece of metal but towards the people. He doesn't want to share them with others, and he doesn't want to share you with the world. He doesn't want to share you with, with idols. He doesn't want to share you, your devotion to others. He desires for you to, for you to give you, him all of your heart to him and your devotion to him because he is true, and he wants to bless you, and he, his promises are true, and he's faithful, and he's good, and he's compassionate and merciful and gracious, as we're going to see as we continue here. And so idol, you know, here is this idol being made. Aaron's left, of course, down on, off the mountain as Moses is up there. He's left to hold the fort down. He's in charge here. So what does Aaron do? He, he sees the people are getting impatient, and he, he sees a whole nation, and what's become of Moses, and let's make a God. And so he says, okay, why don't you bring me gold? 
He received, verse 4. He fashioned it, verse 4. Made a golden calf, verse 4. Aaron made the golden calf. It wasn't these guys in the previous chapter, the artisans that were, you know, artistic and, and skilled in, in being able to, to make things. This is Aaron doing it. I had a, a feeling it's probably a pretty ugly calf, you know, because Aaron, this priest, is trying to carve it out and stuff. And Then he built an altar, verse 5, made a proclamation, verse 5, and said, tomorrow we'll make a feast unto the Lord. So he throws a little bit of God talk in there with it. Trying to sound a little religious, a little bit, you know, good. We'll make a feast to the Lord tomorrow. But we see that he's making a grave mistake, isn't he? You know what? Instead of Aaron standing up and saying, what are you doing? Don't you remember what the Lord has done? Remember his faithfulness. Remember how he's brought you out of the, the land of Egypt. Remember the plagues that came down upon Egypt. And he said that he would redeem you with an outstretched arm from Egypt, and he has done that, certainly. And remember how he parted the, the Red Sea and how the Egyptians were drowned, and how he's provided for you with, with the, the manna from heaven and then the water that comes from the rock? How he manifested himself to you and you made a covenant? Don't you remember? And, and instead of standing up and saying, this is wrong, God's commandment says that you're not to make an image. You're not to have no other gods before him. That, that, that you're breaking the commandments here. Instead, he was given into the people. And one thing, I, I think that probably most of us know this, but I think that even others need to hear it, ministry leaders and stuff, it's amazing how they, they'll be given into the people. And we're going to be, you know, dictated by the people and be politically correct, and we don't want to, you know, upset people and all this. So what happens is, is it brings compromise oftentimes to people in their walk with the Lord when you have that mindset, or ministry leaders when they're ministering to others. And it would be Paul that would say something that we always have to remember, and I think every single one of us, that if you have a fear of man over the fear of God, you can't be a servant of the Lord, a true servant. Because you will have people then dictate you and begin to manipulate you and begin to pull you in the different directions that is contrary to the Lord. We need to, all of us, have a fear of God over the fear of man and to stand up to our children at times, don't we? And say, you know what, junior or daughter, you're not going to go here. You're not going to watch this. You're not going to have this. And to minister to them in that way even when they're not happy. To be able to stand up at, and perhaps in, at work and say, you know, I'm not going to do this and be deceptive because it's wrong. Or when we're ministering to others, again, whether it's a small group or, or you know, me as a pastor. I need to fear God over fearing the people. And if we do that, then we're going to be in a place where we can effectively minister to others. But if we are ones that we fear man, oh, I don't want them to, to not like me or, you know, seem like I'm in conflict with them and so I'll compromise, then we can't truly be a servant of the Lord. And here's Aaron. He's to be the high priest. He was left to be in charge. And so he has a huge responsibility here. And so here he, he compromises. He's making this golden calf, verse 6, and then they rose early the next day burn off, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
They gave offerings and, and pointed to the golden calf and said, this is our God, O Israel. They rose up to play. Now in verse 25, we're going to see that they were unrestrained in their shame. In other words, they were running wild and, and committing idolatry, but also committing sexual immorality. Now in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, it tells us that when you have idolatry, it's oftentimes accompanied by immorality. And we read in Romans chapter 1, professing to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in their, the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So whenever there is that uh, changing the, uh, you know, the glory of the true God in the image of a corruptible man into an idol, going off and making God into your own image, then what happens is, is immorality oftentimes is followed by that. And so that's what Paul talks about there in Romans chapter 1. And that's what's happening here. They rose up to play. In verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Notice here, as the chain, scene changes now from what's going down below in the valley, to back on the mountaintop where Moses and the Lord are. And God says to Moses, you know what, Moses? Um, you need to uh, get down because your people whom you brought out of the land have corrupted themselves. <laughs> now, whenever I come home and Sue says to me, your son <laughs> or your daughter, I know that it's not good. But here God is aroused in his anger, isn't he? he? In his anger, he's disowning them. But in this disowning, the reason he's disowning them is because they have broken their, the, the law. They've broken the commandments. And we see that in a way, the children of Israel disowned the Lord. So here God, in his righteous anger, he's saying this. And, and then in verse 9, as he says, Moses, your people have corrupted you know, themselves. We see in verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Indeed, it is stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and, and I will make you a great nation. Stand back, Moses, because I'm going to consume them. And I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Moses. Now put yourself in Moses' sandal at this time. Moses right now had the opportunity to get out of this ministry. I mean, he had God's approval. God says, stand back, Moses, I want to consume them. And I think about, what if I was in Moses' sandal at that time? I mean, think about it. It wasn't that long ago that Moses was standing on the mountain when God said, you're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses was saying, ah, not me. What do you mean, me, Lord? I, I can't go. What if they don't believe me? I can't go, Lord, because I'm slow of speech. Lord, you know, he made every excuse that he could. But he would go. And he went and he called down the plagues and upon Pharaoh and that was difficult because Pharaoh intimidated him, as we saw. But then he began to, to, to see God working, and he had confidence and boldness in the Lord. But then when it came that last plague, 
he had to get a whole nation, two and a half million people ready to go out into the wilderness. And they go out, and that wasn't easy. And they go out in orderly ranks. They have, you know, the Egyptians bearing down on them. The people's yelling at Moses constantly. They're complaining. We're hungry. We're thirsty. Now we're out here in this desert and all of this. And now they're dancing around a golden calf. And Moses knew that they were stiff-necked people, a rebellious people. And Moses very easily could have stood back and said, you know what, go ahead, Lord. Because I've had it with these people as well. And I'm tired of these people. And you know what? It sounds really good, Father Moses, right now. He had the opportunity to do that. And as I read this, I think, what would I have done? What can, is our reaction when things do get difficult and do get hard? And that's why I press upon you that it's important that when you minister, that you're doing it unto the Lord primarily. Yes, we are to care for people and love people. But as we're ministering to the Lord and it's our love for him that motivates us and constrains us, as Paul would write, then God's going to work that love in us and love the other people even when it's difficult to do that. And we see how far that God has brought Moses and given him this shepherd's heart, a heart for the people. And that's only a work that God can do in us as we shepherd, you know, our family, as we shepherd people that we have opportunity to minister to, whoever it might be. That he desires for us to really have a shepherd's heart. And so here is Moses, and instead of standing back and saying, Go ahead, Lord, I, I like the sound of that, Father Moses, and you know, I can take it easy now for a while. And I got a couple sons that, you know, perhaps they can just start multiplying and I can head into retirement and take it easy. But he doesn't do that, does he? And so in verse 11, we see the reaction of Moses. Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from the harm, this harm to your people. And in verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And all this land I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So Moses intercedes for the children of Israel. He begins to plead with the Lord. And here's the thing you need to remember as he pleads for the children of Israel. He's appealing to and he's pleading towards what he believes to be the heart of God. It's really important that we remember that. Moses doesn't say, you know what, Lord, don't consume them because, you know, the burning of the flesh, you know, it's, it's, or, you know, whatever. I, I don't want to have to bury all these bodies. He begins to, to plead because he's pleading to the, the heart of God, what he feels like is going to move God. Because he knows God. He's knowing God. He knows his heart. He begins to bring up these promises, his faithfulness. And you see, when we begin to, to, to intercede for somebody, or we begin to, to come to the Lord, that's an important thing for us to remember. So number one, he says, remember how you brought your people out. They're your people. They're your people, Lord. You brought them out with a mighty hand. And you brought them out to this place, just as you said that you would. Whenever I pray for people and minister to people, and any of us need to keep this in mind, remember they're God's people. And say, Lord, you know what? They're your people. And, and, and Lord, just keep me in that place where I can minister to them and love them and share with them and give them truth. To, to be able to, to come to them when they need that and be a help and edify, edify them and correct them if I need to. 
But always remember that as we're dealing with other people, that they're God's people, those who are believers. I need to remember that you guys belong to the Lord, that this is God's church, and, and that, um, that you are God's people. Second of all, notice here that he says, what will the other nations, Egypt, say that you brought them out just to consume them? They will think that you're a cruel God and not a compassionate God. And what we're going to see is, is that the Lord's going to declare his name here in just a couple of chapters. He's going to declare his name to Moses and say, I am the Lord, the Lord, that I am compassionate or merciful and gracious, long-suffering, patient, forgiven iniquity, sin, and transgression. And so the Lord declaring his character to Moses, and we're going to see that the Lord's going to show compassion. And I think that's going to be an important thing for us to look at next week when we do that. It reminds me so much of Jesus as he stood on the hillside in there in Matthew chapter 9, remember? And he looked out on the multitudes and he had compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep not having a shepherd. The Lord has compassion for us. And so he's appealing to the heart of God. Lord, I know your character, that you're a God of compassion. What, did you, what are the other nations going to say? That you brought them out just to consume them? But then he also, thirdly, remember your promise and covenant that you gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You said that you were going to make a great nation out of them. You gave a promise to Abraham that from his descendants, it's going to be a great nation. And, and you told Abraham, the back in eight, Genesis chapter 15, that your descendants are going to go into the land of a stranger for four generations, but then you would bring them back into the land. That's a promise that you gave. You told Isaac there, or that is Jacob, the, the son of Isaac, Israel. You told him when his son Joseph was, was bringing his family into Egypt, when they first went in, and we see that Jacob, he was one that was hesitant to go, but we see there at the end of the book of Genesis that the Lord told Jacob, Jacob, go ahead and go. Go to Egypt, it's okay, and I'm going to bring your descendants back into the land. Remember those promises that you made. It's not Father Moses, it's Father Abraham, and it's Isaac, and Jacob that you made that covenant to. And you told them that you're going to give them the land uh, that they will inherit. And you told me on that mountain, when you called me to ministry, that you're going to keep the promise to them. So he's appealing there to, to the heart of God, to what he knows to be the promises of God, and he knows to be what God uh, is going to be faithful in keeping those promises. Now there are those who will come along and give some suggestion that through prayer we can somehow manipulate God. Or, or we can, you know, um, we can change God's mind. And I don't believe that we can manipulate God because 1 John chapter 5 says, ask anything according to his will and he will do. I believe we can move the heart of God as we appeal to his will, his character, and to his nature. As we get, cast our cares, I believe God wants to work for us and he wants to work in mighty ways. He desires for us to cast our cares upon him. He desires for us to ask. Jesus said, ask, please ask that your joy may be full. Of course, there is power in prayer and, and it moves the heart of God, but it's always according to his will, his nature, and his character. And so Moses here appealing to the heart of God, I, I think that God is... is here showing us a testimony of a shepherd's heart that God is working in Moses and he knows that, that God's promises are given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and he knows that they're going to inherit the land and God's going to keep those promises. And so verse 14 
So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. As he said, he will not do, and, and will not he do? In other words, the Lord is going to be faithful to keeping his promises. And when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. The King James says that, that God here repented from the evil that he thought to do to his people. Now, don't think of that, that God thought something wrong, and he repented, and he sinned, and he had to repent from it. That's not biblical, because God is absolutely pure. He's absolutely holy. He's perfect. In him is light. There is no darkness at all. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 says that true and righteous are your ways. Just and true are your ways. We will all get to heaven, as Revelation tells us, and we will all sing together, righteous and true are your decisions, O Lord. So God knew that he wasn't going to destroy Israel, but again, he put Moses in a place of intercession, didn't he? And, and Moses here in that hearted uh, place of interception, intercession is appealing to the will of God, and he knows it. And I think that, that God, in a sense, that he's pleased here. He's pleased with Moses. Yes, Moses, you are understanding me. You know my promises. So he relented from that. And so Moses here also giving us a picture how you and I, that we should have been consumed, shouldn't we? Because we've broken the law. But out of the compassion and grace and promises that the Lord had given to us, he would send a Messiah that would come and die for you and for me. And so here Moses here in that place where he's really beginning to, to, to know God, he's really beginning to have that shepherd's heart that is there in his heart. And so Moses, verse 15, turned and went down the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, one on the one side, and the other uh, they were written. In verse 16, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was written, the, uh, that is, the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Keep note this, because Moses, as we know, is going to break these tablets. These tablets were made by God, written by the finger of God. Moses is going to make a second set of tablets. And so Moses is going to be told that you're going to make this, the tablets this time. It still would be written, those commandments, by the finger of God. But this first set, we know that God made those tablets. In verse 17, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So here's Joshua. He's halfway up the mountain, or partway up the mountain. He's waiting for Moses. He's been there. Joshua, he hears the noise of war that's going on in the camp. Now think about this. Joshua is a warrior. Joshua was fighting the Amalekites. Joshua, but he's also faithful. We're going to see him when he's going to be with Moses at the tabernacle meeting here in the next chapter. He's there waiting. And, Mo and Joshua here, he's waiting for Moses. He knows he's supposed to be there. And I think again, and, and I was thinking about this this morning as I was looking at this, I know that sometimes when I hear a noise, that I can think I need to go and do something. And I imagine Joshua was thinking, I need to get over there and do battle. I'm a warrior. I need to do battle. But he knew that he was supposed to stay right there. And I think that it's important for us when we hear noises around us and we think, Lord, do I need to get over there and do battle? Or, Lord, do I need to go over and help? Sometimes the Lord will say, yes, you need to go. But other times, I know that the Lord has told me, you need to stay put. Because this is where I have you. And this is where I want you to stay. And I want you to stay right here. And we'll deal with the situation. I have a plan. Don't worry about it. And I think it takes real discernment. 
and it takes a real uh, prayer for, for us to go, Lord, okay, I hear the noise. I see the problem. I, I see the need. Am I to go and do battle? Am I to go and rescue? Am I to help? Whatever it might be. And sometimes the Lord does say yes. And when he says yes, you go. But sometimes he'll say wait. You need to wait right here. And that's what Joshua did. Joshua was such uh, a wonderful example to us of just obedience to the Lord. And so he says, you know what? They're, they're sinning, Joshua. In verse 19, so it was as soon as he came near the camp, they saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain here. And so um, can you imagine what it must have been like when Moses saw that calf? And all this lewd dancing. And, and, and of course he was angry. And, and he throws down the tablets. And he breaks the tablets. And I don't think it was, oh, look. Moses, he lost such control. He's so out of control in his anger that, oops, he broke the tablets on the ground. I don't think it was that. I think it was a representation and symbolizing as he broke those tablets. You guys have broken the commandments before I even got them down to you. And you said that you would keep these commandments. You said go up on the mountain and we'll do what the Lord says. But before I can even get down to you, you've already broken the covenant that God had made with us. And so it symbolized how they had broken that with the Lord in this great sin that they did against God. And so verse 20, And he took the calf which they made, had made, burned it in fire, and ground it to powder, and scattered it in water, and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And so, you know what? It's terrible when you can ground up your God to powder. And that's what happens. He goes in the water and makes it drink it. He's, he's exposing the foolishness, the folly of their idol worship. The idol's nothing. It can be destroyed so easily. And as I've said this before, you can nowhere find in the scriptures where those idols that they were worshiping, that they turned to in the Old Testament times, the children of Israel, not one instance where those idols helped them in their time of need. One instance where they were a benefit to them. One instance that they could call upon those idols and those idols rose up and defended them. Not one example that you can find. And that's God's point. It's foolish to go after these idols. They're nothing. And, and the, how futile it is in all of this. But here we see that Moses then turns and rebukes Aaron. He says, what have these people done to allow you to make this calf and commit this great sin? When we compromise... What have people done to make you the compromise? To where you begin to sin or you begin to encourage others to compromise? And again, oftentimes it's because we let people manipulate, let people, you know, intimidate us or whatever it might be. But what can people do to you to where you will go, what level can they affect you to where you're going to compromise and then maybe perhaps cause them to compromise? And I hope that we would always stand fast in the faith. And I think that's what it means, that I'm going to stand fast. And Jesus would even say that why fear man who can destroy the body but can't destroy the soul? You need to fear God who can destroy both body and soul. In other words, that we need to trust in the Lord and stand firm for him and not allow people to manipulate and intimidate in their persecution of us or maybe in their coming against us or whatever it might be to where we begin to then compromise and then we begin to cause others to compromise. Aaron, what have these people do, done 
that you would do this great sin here. And so Aaron begins to answer back in verse 22, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any god, let them uh, break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it in a fire, and this calf came out. <laughs> so Aaron begins to come up with a bunch of excuses. His first excuse, well, you know how these people are. They're stiff-necked people. They, they made me do this. It reminds me of Adam. Remember Adam sitting in the garden, and the Lord said, Adam, where are you? And when he found Adam, Adam, have you eaten of this forbidden fruit? And Adam said, well, it was that woman you gave me. That wife you gave me. She made me eat of it. And you see, we can do the same thing. Well, it's that, that spouse of mine. It's those children of mine. It's the boss. It's the neighbor, whoever it might be. They made me sin. And a very important principle for you and for me and for us to teach your children, you don't make excuses when you sin. But you confess it. And be like the one, as Jesus would say, the tax collector that went to the temple. He wouldn't even look up to heaven and he's smote his breast and he said, I have sinned. He didn't make excuses. He said, Jesus said, that man went away justified. And one of the things that I want my children to understand and for me to have it worked out in my life when I sin is to confess that that means to be in agreement. This was wrong, Lord, and not make excuses for it. It is wrong. You've given me the Holy Spirit. You've given me a commandment. But, Lord, I broke it, and it's wrong. But not to say, well, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for this person or that circumstance or they made me so angry and all of this and on and on and on rather than saying, Lord, I got it. But I compromised and I'm sorry for that and it was wrong, forgive me. To be in agreement with God and how he sees them. So he says, not only was it the children of Israel, but it's also your fault, Moses, because you delayed him coming down from the mountain. So he also blames Moses. But then he lies and he says, you know, this calf came out. And we just read in verse 4 of the chapter that he fastened the calf himself. Now Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 20 tells us that God was so angry with Aaron at this point that he wanted to consume him. He wanted to kill Aaron. So, coming to the Lord, being one that doesn't make excuses, but confesses it to the Lord, Aaron comes up with these excuses. In verse 25, he also saw that the people were not restrained, and Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among the enemies. And Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side, and go in and out from the entrance to the entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi said, According to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. So Moses said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come here, and the sons of Levi there, and so they go throughout the camp, and whoever persisted in their idol worship, that they were slayed by the sword. Just as the Lord said, that if you have any other gods before me, whoever does that, whoever commits that idol worship is going to be put to death. So God's word is coming to pass here, but it would come to those who persistently said, we're going to continue here in this idol worship. And also, we see in the last verse of the chapter, that a plague was put through. So apparently, some died from a plague as well. Now, the sons of Levi here, at this going to be set apart for ministry now to tabernacle. And the Lord said, because of this incident here, because you came on the Lord's side, on my side, then you're not going to have an inheritance when you go into the promised land. That is land given to you. But you're going to minister 
there at the table. We'll see more specifically what it is that they're going to put in the book of Numbers, but then on your inheritance is what they will say. And so the Levites who were doing this uh, as they went to about 3,000 died um, that day, and Moses said, Consecrate yourself to pray to the Lord, but he may bestow on you in this day every man has a closest son in the book. Now it came to pass the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now you have to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, All these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of the year book which you have written. The shepherd's heart. Now, this book that you have written, for different comments, is it the book of life that Revelation chapter 21 speaks of? Or is it a census of the children of Israel, the book that the Lord has? Is Moses willing to, to, to be, and he says, block me out of the book of life, or out of the census, that is, go ahead and, you know, I'll die prematurely, just go ahead and, you know what, I won't leave the children of Israel. But here Moses is showing the heart of a shepherd, isn't he? He's, he's not making excuses for him. He goes totally on the mountain the next day. He intercedes for them. He says they have sinned, sinned, have made this broken path. I know it's serious, it's serious enough that you could have consumed the Lord, but please forgive me. And not block me out of prison. And he was willing to suffer consequences as he identified with the people. As the shepherd thought that he was shown to them. It reminds me of, of, of the heart that he had towards his countrymen in Romans chapter 9, as he would say that I wish it out to be accursed. My my brethren would be saved. He wanted the Jews, his brethren, the Jews, the children of Israel, to be saved so badly that I'd be willing to be accursed. That was a love he had for them. And of course, the Lord is going to say here in, in verse 33, and the Lord said to Moses, whoever sins against me, I will block them out of my book. In other words, they would be responsible for their own sins. But definitely a part that Moses is showing, willing to, to, to intercede for them. Block me out of the book of life if you want to forgive them. But he said, Paul, to people that had persecuted him in his ministry, saying, Oh, Lord, I wish that I could be cursed for them to be saved. And so showing the love for the people here. And then as we finish tonight, now therefore go lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel will go before you, nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will put punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. I want to close with verse 34. Therefore, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Listen, you can't lead people to the place that God wants you to if you're not hearing from the Lord. Okay? If you get anything out of tonight's lesson, remember this. You can't lead your children. You can't leave your spouse, leave your spouse. You can't leave the people that you're ministering to if you're not hearing from the Lord. How are you going to be able to lead them to the place that the Lord wants you to if you're not hearing from Him? You're not hearing what He's speaking to you. And that's why it's so important to have those devotions. And that's why it's so important to be in the Word of God. And that's why it's important to be in prayer to the Lord and listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to be able to lead my family, my spouse, these people I'm ministering to, but I need to hear from you. If you speak to me, and if you speak to me, then I can lead them to the place 
that you show them where you want them to go. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your love. We thank you that the familiar story tells us how you desire to work in our hearts to have part for people and see Moses, who's a wonderful, wonderful man of God who interceded on behalf of the people. That's a picture of the greater than Moses, obviously. Jesus Christ who came and interceded for us. He came and, and became the mediator for us. Because there's one mediator between sinful man and the righteous God and his Christ who died on the cross for us. Because we sin the wages of sin is death. Deserve to die, but because of your compassion and mercy, because of your promises, you have seen your son, you did. And so, Lord, we rejoice tonight in that. And Father, I pray that we would be the Lord that our desire is to be, that we would stay close to you with Moses, that we would not go by the way of becoming impatient, looking at other things and taking things with our hands, that it becomes idol worship. What we do is right in our own eyes. The Lord would do that in your eyes. The Father, I pray that we would be one who says, Pray for me that again we would hope to lead others. So, Lord, we do tonight. It's coming such a perfect moment. But, Lord, perhaps if we come, there are things on Christ that we would appeal to your heart, to your nature and character and to your will. that you move to show your compassion just as you did to the children of Israel at this time. You desire to work. That you desire to, to, to show us once again your faithfulness and that you are true to your promises. Father, we thank you for that.